Pew, pew, pew. Oh, friends, family, it has been a long time since I have said welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. It's a heck of a, uh, a month of February, y'all. I'll tell you about that in just a moment. A little sidebar here, recording this on a Wednesday night in Tampa in my hotel. It's 10.57 p.m. Body clock is still on California time, so good in that regard. Big thanks to all of you for the just super kind, kind messages and notes over the last month. Health has been a, a crazy, crazy problem. And yeah, just thank you so much for the the unfathomable amount of emails, texts, DMs, and otherwise all just checking in, making sure it was okay, even when I wasn't. So thank you once again to everyone for your kindness. Also, to our great, great friends and partners now for five years, I think, plus Cooper Tires. The amazing folks who power the USF Championships kicking off their season as well this weekend here in St. Petersburg. Justice Brothers, makers of amazing automotive chemicals and lubricants used by many upon many racing teams. And then finally, TorontoMotorsports.com. Awesome, awesome, awesome person there in Derek Koska who takes great care of me and they happen to sell all kinds of delightful motor racing memorabilia t-shirts hats models stickers indycar f1 imsa check them out torontomotorsports.com so many of you have asked what has been going on let me cover that off very quickly when i was here in florida for the rolex 24 at daytona started feeling something not great early in race week uh, something kind of stomach, but just my energy was really low and was achy, bones and joints, just things weren't wonderful, but they cleared up a bit as we got closer to the race and just persevered. was really close to going to the doctor, though. Kind of put it down to something hitting me and my body fighting it off. And so that was seemingly the end of that. Flew straight after the Rolex 24 to Palm Springs, was there for IndyCar Spring Training, was doing okay there. little lower energy, though, than I wanted. Knew something didn't feel exactly right, but again, no showstoppers. Got home, whatever that was, Friday night uh, at the conclusion of Spring Training. The next day, Saturday morning, got up, ran a bunch of errands, having been gone from home for almost three weeks straight, and by Saturday night, it was really clear that something was significantly not good. That stomach kind of ache and body ache and whatever, that hit with all of its power. Uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning was just a a complete mess. Uh, It took a little while maybe a week, week and a half later, but my wife, because she's just amazing at research, put all the symptoms together, 
put some of the warnings about what was going around together and said, hey, you've got something called the nanovirus, N-O-N-O, completely unrelated to the coronavirus. So again, just different universe, just similar sounding names or, or whatever. Said, hey, you've got the nanovirus and basically is a weapons grade stomach virus. I knew that to be true. I didn't know the name, but I knew what I had because starting that weekend that I got home, uh, I'll, I'll spare you the, the details, but let's just say I was spending 10 to 12, sometimes 14 hours a day in the bathroom on the throne. And not all at once. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily 10 to 12 hours straight, but just constantly having to go back in and sometimes spending hours at a time, nonstop. Wasn't getting much sleep. My body, I'd try to eat, was eating very little, had no appetite. Whatever I did eat uh, was gone quickly. But uh, for about the first two weeks of February, I was just getting hammered by this nanovirus stomach virus thing <clears throat> that started to fade away which was good again kind of middle of february but there was another problem that manifested uh i like to think we have comfy toilet seats that we've bought for ourselves but i don't know of many toilet seats that are really truly meant to be sat upon for 10 12 14 hours a day at some point in time, maybe that first week uh, in February, with all this hit, the stuff hitting me hard, I think what happened is I broke a blood vessel in my right leg, the back side of it, kind of upper thigh area. All of a sudden, I had this kind of, I don't know, uh, lemon-sized uh, thing. Uh, just like, wow, this is a big old balloon that wants to burst. And then it kept growing and kept growing and was like the size of like a fist, if not two fists. And very long story short, something broke there. Blood started filling and pooling and then that got infected. And so some sort of crazy bacterial infection fired off like I've never had. So uh, we'll just close things by saying for most of February... And I'm still trying to fight the, the last vestiges of this bacterial infection in my leg. Uh, was having to deal with this weapons-grade stomach virus and it just destroying my internals. And also fighting a bacterial infection. So two things at the same time. And I, I, yeah, having to elevate my leg, uh, try and drain things. We said, hey, we should go to the ER. This is getting, like, really bad. Uh, called them, and they said, no, don't don't come in. Um, there, there's really not much for us to do here. You just need to keep taking antibiotics. So uh, I think I'm getting close to day 20 of antibiotics regimen. My wife took care of me the entire time. It's really the first time she has had to take care of me in about the last three or four years um, roles were reversed uh, having taken care of her with just great pleasure and, and honor to do so this is the first time in many years where she's had to take care of me in a very sorry state I just mentioned that because 
you want to talk about love. Uh, this was not pleasant. This was not something where you go, oh, great. My, my spouse, my partner has the sniffles and I just need to bring them Kleenex. This was sparing you all the details. This was not awesome. And she never flinched, was so proactive, uh, taking care of me on a daily basis, making bandages and this and that. Just so. Uh, you want to talk about the love of my life. It's IndyCar. I've loved that forever. But the real love of my life, my wife, Shabrell, <sighs> thanked her a hundred times at least for everything she did. And uh, obviously thank the Lord and a lot of prayers for her and for us and for our strength and to get through this. And so here we are. Uh, I'm in St. Petersburg, having lost almost the entire month of February uh, to some crazy illnesses, but not all the way there. I feel like I'm maybe 85, 90%, still pretty tired. Like I said, still taking antibiotics, but uh, going to do my best this weekend. So uh, that's, the, uh, that's the explanation as to what's been going on and why. I have not recorded one of these Week in IndyCar listener Q&A episodes for more than a month. So now that we're here, you know what I have to say? (laughs) It's the dumbest thing ever, but it makes me so happy. A huge thank you as well to our pal Jerry Siddeth for putting together the questions here. A lot of these things are left over from about a month ago. Uh, so I'm going to uh, pick up some of these that are still relevant. Also sprinkle in uh, some new season, new stuff as well. And yeah, not sure how long we'll go. This probably is not going to be the longest episode. But can tell you Thursday night, not might be around 7 p.m. Eastern, my hashtag racing family co-host and partner Chris Wheeler We're going to be doing a show. I hope you'll join us. That is our Twitter Spaces live show. And this Thursday marks the one-year anniversary of our very first ever episode. So I'm hoping we'll have a couple of special guests. We'll have some guests for sure, but hope that you'll join us there. Again, I think we're going to do this 7 p.m. Eastern Twitter Spaces. We'll send out a little notification on the tweeters to let you know it is happening. Um... Why don't we talk a little bit about this new season? I have written so far about 15,000 words, 14,500 to 15,000 words worth of season previews team by team, which I'm hoping some of you have read on racer.com because I have genuinely put a lot of effort into these. I hate season previews. I just loathe them. That's why I almost never do them. I had big plans for this month uh, coming out of Thermal. I was going to do, I don't know, somewhat in-depth video season previews for each team. Um, That obviously didn't happen. So having really only gotten back to work at about the last week or so, I'm so far behind. All I could really do was just write. So I hope you've been reading some of those. We're looking at teams and the ones that I'm looking towards who will be doing what I expect, big things in 2023 once we get into this new season here, starting with practice on Friday. Team Penske, obviously, that is the uh, the standard bearer. I do not expect a whole lot to change in terms of their competitiveness. One key area 
to follow. We have Will Power, our reigning champion. I think he is going to pick up right where he left off. We have Scotty McLaughlin, who finished fourth in the standings last year, picked up three wins. Just truly phenomenal. I have McLaughlin as my dark horse champion, right? Uh, he finished fourth in only his second full season of IndyCar. Picked up three wins, couple poles, was just phenomenal. I think there's still going to be some folks who are not going to make it easy for him to get all the way to first at the end of the championship. But if I'm looking at one driver who has shown us that, you know what, uh, this guy is made of extraordinary things. Imagine what he could do in season three. Scotty McLaughlin is that person. On the Team Penske stuff, one or two other key things to keep in mind. Of the three full-time entries that they have, Scotty's car is the only one where I would say they were on big, big, victorious-type momentum, podium, super-podium momentum to close last season. I know that Will Power was as well. I know that Newgarden was as well. But if I look at McLaughlin... Same race engineer. Basically, they're locked in with pretty much no changes whatsoever. Could say the same thing about Power, right? That single win of his last season still troubles me a little bit. I cannot see any way he would repeat as champion this year with a single victory. He's going to have to get two or three if he wants to be in title contention again. I think McLaughlin... And Ben Bretzman, uh, I, I just, yeah, watch out for them. Haven't really mentioned Newgarden, right? Newgarden, last year's most dominant driver. Five freaking wins, poles, you know, it's just, wow. Also a lot of boom and bust. That's why teammate Will Power won the championship with a single victory, but nonstop podiums. And Newgarden won five races and came up short, which again, by numbers, makes no sense. But it was the boom and bust aspect to his season, plus having to get to know and work with a brand new race engineer in Eric Likely. Well, Eric has moved on. Eric was offered a, a job to stay at Penske, I'm told move into the engineering R&D side. He declined that and has gone to work at SpaceX. So good on Eric. Think about that. First year, first ever season of being an IndyCar race engineer. Brand new. The guy wins five races and kind of sort of drops the mic <laughs> and goes to work for SpaceX. But I mentioned this for a very specific reason. Three seasons in a row now. Three different race engineers. Gavin Ward, who was with Joseph, won that 2019 title. Obviously, he wanted to leave, wanted a bigger role. Team Penske didn't have anything to offer him. He chose to go to Arrow, what we now call Arrow McLaren. He's pretty quickly elevated here to a top, top person at that team. But nonetheless, Joseph has gone from having the phenomenal Gavin Ward 
built a great relationship with him. Those two were devastatingly effective. Had to get to know a brand new race engineer. Last season, St. Petersburg wasn't great for them, but won at Texas, won at round three, following at Long Beach, uh, etc. They picked things up very quickly. Here we are again, though, unlike Power and unlike McLaughlin, where Joseph needs to get to know a new race engineer in Luke Mason. The good thing is Luke was on Joseph's engineering team last season, uh, assistant race engineer. They know each other. They understand each other. That part's great. But they've never worked together until testing began during the offseason as race engineer and driver. Knowing what Joseph and Eric were able to do last season, that tells us, and frankly, what Joseph has done with previous new engineers to him, it does not take Joseph long to click and make things happen. I am confident the same will go on here between Joseph and Luke. But there's a caveat. Last year's most dominant drivers got to start this process in battle with his new race engineer. So are they going to hit the ground running and blow everybody away at St. Pete? Is that going to be Texas? Is that going to be, again, Long Beach? Bar? Again, we don't know. So that's why I just have that little question mark for Newgarden. They're going to hit their stride. It's just a question of when. And if it takes a little bit longer than they would desire, and Power, and McLaughlin, and Polo, and Dixon, and Rundown Award, and Herta are kicking ass and taking names while Joseph and that number two entry are still figuring a couple of things out, does that put him in the hole? Does, again, we don't know. But that's the big question mark to follow with Joseph to start this season. If he and Luke are on it right away, this could get ugly quickly for everybody else. Uh, If you move down, just thinking about last year, if you move down who is competitive fighting for the title, Chip Ganassi Racing was up next. Alex Pillow, among the four Ganassi drivers, is the one who is really and truly, I believe, poised to do either a repeat of his 2021 championship-winning season or come super close. On that New Garden note with Team Penske, Scott Dixon's got to do the same thing with his number nine Chip Ganassi Racing entry. He's got a brand-new race engineer, Ross Bunnell. He is someone who is so highly rated coming to the team from Dale Coyne Racing was David Malukas' race engineer last year. We know what he and David were able to do, David being a rookie, of course, impressing us mightily. Ross Bunnell is regarded as just genius-level talent when it comes to race engineering. No question as to whether he and Scott Dixon are going to form an amazing combination, but we're starting the clock in the same exact way like Newgarden. Will Ross and Dixie be monsters at round one? Is it a round three thing? Where do they lock in and really start doing knockout type results? We don't know. So yet again, 
big title contender, when do they get to the best of themselves and start putting heat on everybody else? Of the rest of the Ganassi team, I think Marcus Erickson is poised to have another very good year. He needs to start the season strong. He actually did that last season. He was ninth at St. Pete, third at Texas. A little bump or two here at Long Beach and Barber, but you know, was fourth at the Indy GP, won the Indy 500, reeled off a bunch of top tens to follow that. Faded, though, at the end of the season. Fell from kind of first or second in the standings, maybe third, to sixth. I mean, that that fade at the end was brutal. He is really someone who, with his great race engineer, good old Brad Goldberg, uh, Angela Ashmore as well, uh, if they can just be third, fourth, fifth, sixth, a couple times to open the season... I think they're going to be in a really good championship position. I also think their rookie, Marcus Armstrong, I think that kid's going to be way faster than folks expect for someone who has to learn every circuit, all the road and street courses that he's doing and whatnot. But among the Ganassi foursome, I'm looking at Alex Pillow. There are no changes to his entry. He and his race engineer, Julian Robertson, wow. We saw them at spring training. Rockets. Last season, we know all the distractions that Alex had, and most of them self-induced. Our beloved member of the Pruday listener group. Um, I am seeing just a really similar person to that guy in 2021 who just knocked everybody's socks off. So I've got Pelot as my 2023 champion. We'll see if that changes. We'll see if that prediction's wrong, obviously. But I think assuming Honda is a match for Chevy, last year they were not at most rounds, Indianapolis 500 being a big exception. But if Honda has drawn level with Chevy, and we know that it's just a toss-up as to who could win each weekend, Alex Pillow strikes me as someone who's going to be a two-time champ by the end of the season. After that, we have Errol McLaren. Love what they have done. Pato Award. Uh, you know, he needs this. <laughs> I think it's going to be a big year for Pato. I really do. Uh, their expansion out to three cars with Alexander Rossi. Uh, Rossi, uh, I don't know if championship this year is where I have him pegged. I think that might be more of a next year thing, but the potential of Alexander Rossi, race engineer Craig Hampson, along with chief mechanic Todd Phillips, it is just ridiculous of what they can bring to that team to add to their overall fortunes, make the cars faster, make the cars better. Rossi being known for supreme technical knowledge and, and feedback, adding that to Pato and what Pato and his race engineer, Will Anderson, are able to achieve. Plus Felix Rosenquist, who I think, he's got a new race engineer, uh, worked with him last year, was an assistant engineer. Um, Felix, yeah, that's going to be a little bit of a, a learning thing as well. A lot of that going on this year, by the way, y'all. a lot of drivers and engineer, brand new pairings, but 
I think Pato and Rossi in particular, I think they're going to be able to do some massive, massive things. Pato got off to a slow start last year, admitted to being distracted while trying to get a better contract and look around for his options elsewhere. Once he got on the same page with Zach Brown and Errol McLaren, this guy was really, really sharp. There are some bad results in there that kind of limited his overall season performance, but I think this guy is going to start the year super strong. And yeah, one caveat though, if you talk about spring training, Aaron McLaren team will say, oh, that was rough. We barely got any running done the first day. Second day was a little bit better, but just as a team, we were off in the wilderness, all kinds of problems and things not working, things not talking to each other, uh, you know, communications and systems wide. And they're able to pick things up a little bit in that one day Sebring test afterwards. But if Pato and Anderson can just pick up where they left off last year, and hopefully with the team having a little bit more speed, uh, of the three Aaron McLaren entries, this is the one entry with great continuity. Uh, if the team has found a little bit more speed with this big engineering reorganization that they've done, and that can be applied to Pato's car while his two teammates are still kind of learning the the new folks uh, in their camps, I think there could be some big things going on there. Uh, let's talk about two other teams real quick. Uh, obviously, there's more than two teams left, but let's talk about two more teams, then we'll get into some of your Q&A. Dirty Autosport. Uh, they were nowhere last year. Rossi was the best among them, placed ninth in the championship, and ninth makes nobody happy. Colton Herta, worst season ever in IndyCar. Finished 10th, first time ever finished behind a teammate. Um, or let me rephrase that. Instead of presenting it that way, first time since Colton joined Andretti Autosport where he was not the clear top dog, no matter who his teammates were. Uh, Rossi was able to, through obviously greater... Uh, Greater consistency, I guess you could say, match Colton on points. Uh, he had better finishes. They both won one race apiece, so it's not like they did crazy, crazy victory stuff. But Rossi had, you know, more seconds and, and thirds than Colton, so that's why he got the nod for ninth place. But everything we've seen in preseason testing tells us that they have found some of the speed that was missing enough speed for Colton and new teammate Kyle Kirkwood to be rockets. So, Andretti Autosport was not really part of the conversation last season when it comes to anything in terms of quality championship finishing positions. Going off of what we've seen, the, the limited data and evidence we have, that being from preseason testing, suggests... Colton should be right back up where he belongs, hovering in and around the top five at all times. And if good old Kirk Kirkwood, uh, emo Kirk, can hold on to what he has with his new race engineer, Jeremy Millis, oh, 
he's another dark horse. I'm not saying championship dark horse, but I think that kid could spoil the days for a lot of title contenders, taking big points away from them that they need. I also am reserving the possibility that while Colton Herta has been the clear fastest and number one driver at Andretti Autosport, could we see Kirkwood challenge that? Not every race, but more often than than maybe we have been accustomed to. I, there's a strong possibility there. So I, prior to preseason testing, I think like most said, hey, we would think Colton will be back up to where he should be, assuming that, uh, and there's my wife calling and I should have put on, uh, should have turned the ringer off. Um, I'll call my love back in just a little bit. Um, I had Colton, assuming the team found its way again, going back to where he should be, but didn't necessarily have any of the other Andretti Autosport drivers in that same expectation. Kirkwood has radically changed my view. I think that kid could be bringing some heat to Herta, unlike he has had at Andretti Autosport. And Romain Groschamp as well. He is in a pretty happy place. I know that like another French friend of mine, I realize that Romain is Swiss-born, raised in France, but uh, our beloved French fry, Mr. Bourdais, we know that, you know, uh, dark clouds, pretty easy for those to uh, fly overhead for them if things don't go the way they want right away. So I'm just hoping that for Romain, things tend to stay positive. And if that's the case, I think he is going to make super sure that he is in the conversation as well. He needs to be. He needs to be fast. Things need to flow. Things need to be good. Because if they aren't, <sighs> Andretti Autosport will be making a change at the end of the season when his contract is up. So I've gone from thinking Andretti would have one pony in the race to now I would say two and possibly three almost everywhere they go uh, if everything remains good with Groschon. Final team I'll mention, it's the one where I think they're going to have the biggest rise. They have the potential for the biggest rise from year to year, and that is Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing. There are a lot of teams, friends, a lot of IndyCar teams that have made big old changes. Engineering, mechanical, managerial Lots of changes, more than I can almost ever remember, going from one season to the next. Among all those teams, the one that has made more changes than anybody, and not just changes for the sake of, but with every change that I've learned about, I have said, whoa, <laughs> that's a good one. Hey, that's a great one. Hey, that is Awesome. That has been Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing, preparing for pretty decent redo, reboot, and do-over from last year. If you look at where Graham Rahal finished, he was the top driver for the team. 
11th, right? Not the end of the world, but this is a guy who's run as high as, I think, 4th in the IndyCar Championship in terms of finishing positions. This is a team that knows it missed badly last year. They spent a lot of money and tried to do some really big things to gain an advantage on the damping side. Uh, had heard about this early in the season, middle of the season. They went all in, went nuts, thinking we are going to really come away with a big advantage. And it was the exact opposite. And so it took them a while, not too long, but it took them a while to dig out of that. Have to basically start over the R&D process again. And they found a lot of great fixes and found more consistent speed over the second half of the season. But there was still a big enough deficit uh, where they weren't able to really dig out of that heavily. Uh, Christian Lingard, obviously rookie of the year, really good on road and street courses. I know he didn't necessarily have all the finishes to say that, but we saw the potential of the kid learning basically every track for the first time and a total novice Zero experience on ovals. He finished 14th, split Romain Grosjean and Simon Paginot. And again, this is all from a, wow, RLL had a tough year and really missed the mark uh, for a good while before they were able to turn things around. This kid, Lundgaard, I think he's going to win his first race this year. I have him as another kind of championship spoiler type. Not claiming he's going to win the title, but I think he is going to be a real thorn in people's sides who are running for the title. He is the only RLL driver with the same engineer from year to year, Ian Ben Siegel. Uh, I think they're just going to continue motoring on and doing much bigger and better things now that Christian knows all the tracks and is coming back to the ovals where, as expected, uh, didn't have a great year, but... I think he's going to be far better. So I expect big things from him. Overall, RLL has really kind of reconfigured its engineering department. They went and hired a super F1 experienced caliber, crazy skilled guy, Stefano Sordo, who's their new technical director. Uh, this is a, a big thing for the team to have a dedicated technical director not just one of their high-caliber race engineers who's also taking on a bunch of technical director-like responsibilities. They have a dedicated person in Stefano to be that person, and they all think the world of him. The big thing, though, for Graham is he has his race engineer, Eddie Jones, back. All of Graham's best years in IndyCar. Last time he won IndyCar races, that was with Eddie on the timing stand. So Eddie's back. And they've moved Alan McDonald over. Alan taking over from Eddie a couple of years ago. Ian Graham didn't get to victory lane, but they did do some good work together. And Alan is so talented. They have moved Alan over to Jack Harvey's car. And so that is the lifeline Jack needed. There's no excuses this season for Jack to have a poor year. With Alan on his timing stand, these two should indeed be able to do 
impressive things. The year they hoped Jack would have last year when he had a rookie race engineer, was new to the team, didn't really like the feeling of the car, etc. I would say there are zero, zero uh, reasons why Jack should not be uh, right there with his teammates in terms of speed and results. If by chance that doesn't happen, if he gets off to a slow start, as I have, have placed in my Racer Magazine, Racer.com season preview for RLL, there's a guy by the name of Ryan Hunter Ray who is sitting home in Florida waiting for a call to do big things for a team. Um, just saying, I hope everything works out perfectly for Jack. He gets everything that he wanted to have last year. And any notion that uh, he's not the right guy for RLL, I'm hoping all of those things are forgotten and he's just back to being quick, if not quicker than ever. That guy leaving Meyershank Racing, who he thought, okay, you came close a couple of times to winning, going to RLL, that's going to be the, the, the real change that gets you there. Um, I'm hoping that same kind of positivity and momentum he had leaving Meyershank Racing I hope that guy is who we get this season. But I'm just being honest. If this is another rough start for Jack, there might be somebody else driving that car before we get to the Indianapolis 500. So I think Andretti is going to get back to a more familiar place with at least two of its drivers representing them towards the front of the field, if not three. I think Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing is going to be the biggest mover of all. All the big changes they've made, uh, managerial change as well, bringing on former Honda Performance Development Vice President Steve Erickson as the new team president. Happier guy, I think just happier in general there. RLL, uh, they're poised for some big stuff. So leave all that there. Let's move on to some of your questions, and again, some of them might be a little slightly bit dated, but uh, I'll try and pick through a couple that might uh, might be good before we say farewell there. Uh, Justin Lee, you're asking, did Indy Carpatic greet you as kindly as Chip and Roger did on your birthday in December, or is that mostly forgotten now? <laughs> oh, I'll keep this one super short. Um, yeah, so there are things that happen in the paddock. Most of them are super positive. Some of them are not. Some of them are negative. And I'm not an IndyCar team owner or team manager. So why do I tell you that? Why am I saying that? I don't get to see the things that those folks do, right? Uh, the documents, the, hey, leader circle, for example. New leader circle contracts are distributed. I don't see those, right? Those are all private. But what does happen is when folks see the leader circle contracts and see that there's a bit of a haircut, some money taken away, and they're not too impressed for the reasons why, well, those folks tend to reach out to folks like myself and say, hey, this thing that I guarantee you know nothing about because, again, you don't get to see any of this, well, this stuff's going on, and it's not good. And so you listen, you talk to some other people, and you get multiple points of input on things like this, those folks certainly are not going to put their names 
uh, in print or on the record because they know that'll lead to big bad repercussions from the series. But they come to me, come to other reporters, Justin, and share these things. And then it's up to us to judge what they're telling us as to whether it's newsworthy, uh, if it's accurate, et cetera, et cetera. And you run through those kind of filters and you then say, well, I don't think there's anything here. So thanks for sharing it, but eh. Or you go, yeah, there's something here. This is real. So uh, that's what we had with the Leader Circle story, which by chance happened to be something that we broke on Racer.com. That went out Thursday morning um, at Thermal. So that was the first day of spring training. And I can tell you that in a five-day span, there were three delightful... um, outreaches uh, from folks who own uh, and, and run the series. And I'll spare you all the details, but I can just say that if I thought getting yelled at and shouted at by Roger Penske in a in the garages at Daytona on my birthday <laughs> with folks around to see it and hear it, uh, if I thought that was wild... Um, I can tell you that some of the things said and the repeated day after day after day attacks that came in as a result of reporting factual information, one that wasn't complimentary about the series, but factual information, uh, honest assessments from those who shared information. Let's just say that uh, I have a full understanding of how I am thought of, and I think, (coughs) although of course they never actually wanted to reach out to me, they wanted to go and try and attack um, my uh, my money, Um, I think they might have a full understanding of what I think of them. And so a very different view of of things than I've had, and yeah, if and when I, I write an autobiography, if I thought the uh, the Daytona Penske thing and Chip Ganassi hollering at me, which was fun, actually. It was just Chip being Chip. But if I thought that warranted two pages of Murphy reflection in a future autobiography, oh, the three, air quote, outreaches, uh, a.k.a. attacks over a five-day span uh, around thermal uh, that's probably given me enough to go from just maybe two pages to an actual small chapter. But again, um, here's what I'll tell you, Justin, and the rest of y'all, the rest of our family here. I say this at least once a month, and I'll keep saying it. I'm reminded, although I don't forget this, but I'm reminded by Racer Magazine founder and owner Paul Fanner. We work for you. We don't work for the series. We don't work for the owners of the series. We don't work for anyone other than you. And so whether I or we are loved or hated by the folks at any racing series, I got to admit, there's some funny things in here where you go, no way you actually said that. Wow. Wow. Um, just got to gotta let it kind of roll off your back. Got to just focus in on why I'm here, and that's making content for y'all. 
Uh, I am a conduit for the paddock to tell their stories as I see them, to tell their stories as they bring them to me, just like the leader circle story or the one that I did this week about all the cool and crazy places teams are finding new crew members, right? I know about these things on my own. These are all things that get shared. But I'm a conduit for stories, videos, podcasts, words, whatever, uh, as I see them to do them, as folks present them to me as ideas uh, or information from the paddock. And all this stuff is for y'all, truly. Uh, I don't do this for myself. <laughs> I know all this stuff. <laughs> I need to write about it. <laughs> I know this stuff. I do this for y'all. And I don't, I'm not saying this in any kind of like, pat me on the back way. I'm saying this because I love doing this. I love telling stories and being that conduit for y'all. And if folks at any racing series want to go on the attack repeatedly, guess what? We'll weather those attacks and keep doing what we do because we love this stuff. We love y'all. And we're really and truly just all the same fans of the sport. So, yeah, um, I have no idea what reaction I'm going to get from the one or two people atop IndyCar. And again, I'm not talking about the operations side uh, from Jay Fry on down. I'm talking about everybody above there. No clue what kind of reaction I'll get because I have not seen them since Thermal. But you know what? Honestly, I don't really care because they have nothing to do with me doing my job. Uh, let's see. Scroll down a few more here. Thomas Gross, you say, uh, just saying a nice thing about how much content we cranked out and have been cranking out, maybe uh, exceeding what IndyCar's marketing team has been doing or whatever team. It's sweet of you to say that, but... Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I did damn near nothing for most of February, but I've uh, been trying to make up for that here very, very recently. I uh, did learn, by the way, unless something has changed in the last four or five days, that IndyCar is still searching for someone to become their new uh, VP of Marketing, uh, SJ Lutke, who left, what is that, two, three months ago and left... Her, her departure came as a bit of a surprise to IndyCar. Uh, saw something recently where she is taking a, I think, similar role uh, for a major league soccer team. So good on her, good on SJ. I'm truly, really happy for her to have found something that uh, just seeing her post about it really gave the impression that uh, she's energized and motivated and happy and I mean, really, happiness is about all that matters. But uh, on the flip side, we're a day or two away from starting the season, and I believe this very important role is still vacant. So, I mean, that's not going to change a thing with how quickly the cars go this weekend or how NBC covers the event or many other things, but... I uh, do have, you know, obviously there are plenty of folks trying to fill in and uh, performing the, the duties 
of a VP of marketing in the absence of a dedicated person to do that on their own. But yeah, just it's the first time in a while I can think of a major racing series kicking off its new season without uh, a, a important managerial leader uh, actually being hired and on the payroll there. Um, what else do we uh, what else do we look at here? Before we say farewell for this episode, uh, Andre Good, you say with IMSA and the new GTP car showing how power can be made different ways, different engine configurations. Is this finally the wake-up call to IndyCar's leadership to open up the engine formula and hopefully get more manufacturers involved? Hmm. Yes and no. Probably more no than yes, Andre. They know, right? But I've got to draw a line here between the they's. The folks who actually write the rules, come up with the ideas, make it all happen. Again, that being IndyCar President Jay Fry on down. They're fully aware that they need to give a, a real hard look at how they come up with their engine rules, what they might do different for the future, knowing that they need to do something less restrictive for the future because the very rigid formula they came up with is one that has not had any takers. So they're aware. It's the folks above who own the series and have taken pretty much all the power and control in terms of dictating such things that have said, do nothing different. Stay exactly the way things are. We're not, <laughs> we're not going into any new areas other than adding the energy recovery system uh, to all the cars for next season. So same exact motor we've been using for more than a decade, just now a hybridized version of that. But yeah, with, with so many things, Andre, not just engine formula related, but chassis and aero and all kinds of things. We have the phenomenal operations folks at IndyCar, whether it's the president, whether it's Tino Belli, uh, Bill Pappas, Rocket, Kevin Blaine, like the folks, whether it's engineering, technical, whatever, competition side, they're super sharp super creative and could come up with all kinds of amazing ideas uh, to sort through and, and, and develop. It's no longer a situation though, Andre, where prior to the sale of the series, they would have come up with great ideas and pushed them forward. The way it is now, they can come up with all the ideas that they want, but the final decision-making power to actually press the, the, the go button and do things, it's no longer theirs. So that's why we're going to have the same chassis, same engine, etc. for, I don't know how many more years, but definitely for more years to come. Uh, Ed Joris, you're asking how well I think Jamie Chadwick will do in Indy Lights this season. And will her participation draw more than the usual amount of attention to the series from outside influencers? I definitely believe that Jamie's presence 
what three-time W Series champ. She's just really talented, period. Uh, I definitely think her season of Indy Lights is going to draw more interest to the series internationally than we have had in forever. I also, knowing that she needs to learn what I think just about every track, uh, oval racing as well, I am not expecting a whole bunch from Jamie in terms of, whoa, win after win and constantly on the podium. She's got a, a big, big learning curve to overcome, and she's one of many with talent, but with everything to learn that will likely make her debut season in Indy Lights not a big ass-kicking, you know, watch out everybody, she's in charge type deal. She's a classic year two driver. I want to see her in 2024 in Indy Lights. That's when I think we're going to see her be an absolute monster from start to finish. Ed, you also ask, what is Steve Erickson going to bring to RLL that Piers Phillips did not? Oh, that's a long one. Um, and that would get us into some pretty grumpy stuff. Um, Piers was really good at high-level stuff, big projects. Um, definitely well-trusted by RLL's owners. I don't know if he was the most beloved person by all the troops under him, though. Uh, Erickson... Definitely more of a people person. So I think we are just going to have a slightly happier collective version of RLL with Erickson taking over that president, team president position. Um, why don't we go with this for uh, uh, Murderhawk is asking when we will see the uh, current LRDW12s in the Vintage Indie Series. Um, why don't we go with this for our last question. Uh, Andrew Miller, you say, is this the year that Marshank Racing becomes a race-by-race -race factor in IndyCar? They've clearly figured out their GTP rocket ship better than anyone in IMSA, and it would be a shame to see Simon and Elio stuck in the midfield or worse for another season in IndyCar. So, Thursday morning, I believe, should have my Meyershank Racing preview up on Racer. And it's one of the, probably the bluntest, harsher, -er -er, uh, of all the previews that I did. Uh, the team just simply failed last season. Reasons for it. Right? They're affiliated with Andretti Technologies. Andretti Technologies supplies not only race engineers, but all the chassis set up. Same exact stuff being used with the mothership at Andretti Autosport. Andretti had a down year. Meyershank Racing had a down year. That's, I mean, there's complete linkage between the two events here, Andrew. Even so, right? It's not like the Andretti team was bad for 17 straight races. There were places where they did well. There were places where their cars were fast. And there were times last season where Simon Pagano was quick. First half of the season had some pretty decent results. 
Second half of the season, pretty much a disaster. Elio, his season was nothing less than a disaster. Uh, he continued, came in, now full-time, right, after winning the Indy 500, full-time in 2022, same race engineer with him, same one that he won the Indy 500 with. I don't know where the divide or why the divide started, these two just completely fell out. I mean, and it got bad. And Meyershank Racing did a great job at keeping all this quiet. But uh, we had a driver and engineer who, uh, how's this? If they were a married couple, we're not talking counseling. Straight to divorce court. So about the halfway point of last season, Andrew, uh, made a change, brought in uh, Dave Seifert from Andretti, and much better, much more conducive relationship. Just things went from being very dark to sunnier, for sure, second half of the season between he and Elio. The one downside, though, no results to show for it. I think Elio finished like 10th or 13th or whatever it was at Nashville, where everybody crashed out. <laughs> so... We're not talking about everybody crashed and he finished third. We're talking everybody crashed and he was still way, way away from uh, any kind of quality finishing position he would want. So knowing all of this, Pagano is just in a much happier, looser, freer place than he was last year. He and I have spoken about it multiple times. I've seen it. I've asked him about it. He, he's mentioned it on his own. Second year working with uh, his race engineer, Garrett. I think they're primed for a really good year. And with Andretti seeming to have more speed to offer, again, as Andretti goes, Meyershank Racing goes. Andretti's been fast in preseason testing. Simon, specifically at MSR, has been fast in preseason testing. I think this year is going to be... What they thought they were going to have last year, I think they're going to get this year. So I look forward to what Simon and Garrett can do in the number 60. Elio, Dave, they haven't produced speed a lot in preseason with the 06 car. So it's hard for me to have bullish feelings or really offer any kind of rosy, like, oh, it watch out. We just need to see evidence of that here in the opening rounds, hopefully, to then say, okay, cool. This is going to be a different year for the 06 MSR entry. So big expectations for the 6-0, big question mark for the 0-6. Both drivers are in the final year of their contract. Things go well with Simon positive he will be offered a contract extension. I don't know if Elio is meant to return to the 06 after this season, even if it goes very well. One way or the other, if either driver struggles, I can damn near guarantee you MSR's lead IMSA dog, reigning top prototype class champion Tom Blomqvist. Tom will be driving from Meyershank Racing next year. 
of that, I have no doubts. But that would also mean that one of the two drivers has not been invited back. So, barring Elio in the 06 going on an epic race-winning run and giving Jim Meyer and Mike Shank no reason to make a change, if things are not amazing, Tom's going to be in the 06. So, Elio, like Groschamp, like Devlin DeFrancesco. Let me just look at some of the other names that jump out here. Jack Harvey, for sure. Um, there's a handful of drivers who really need to do significant things in 2023 to make sure they are either still with their same team, good team, in 2024, still in the series in 2024. So, yeah. Uh, I'm a glass-half-full guy by nature, and I look at Marshank Racing and say, my optimism for them is half-full. One half, I think, is going to be fine. The other one, I hope, is fine. I don't ever want to lose Elio. We're just going to have to wait and see how that pans out. All right, y'all. I should have mentioned this at the beginning. Uh, I'm a little bit rusty, so I didn't. But if you happen to like this little podcast of ours and you want to make more friends who love racing, love IndyCar, talk about the podcast a little bit maybe, but more just love racing and connect every day uh, through Discord chat, some on Twitter. Uh, but if you're looking for a new kind of racing family to enjoy the sport, uh, life, and fun, and just really warm, caring people, uh, send an email to prudayrocks at gmail.com. P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S. Prudayrocks at gmail.com. I think they now have an automated response that comes back to you, and they'll add you into the group. Uh, I'm told it is now hundreds deep, probably... Again, as I'm told, I'm not a member, so I don't see any of it. I'm not involved, nor should I be. But I'm told there's probably 75 to 100 folks who are, are really active. These just folks who've become friends, made friends, who now get together at the track and make plans and do stuff together. And yeah, if uh, you're looking for warmth and positivity in and around motor racing, primarily IndyCar and sports cars a little bit, maybe a little bit of Formula One, but just... If you're looking for a, a new tribe, send an email to prudayrocks at gmail.com and join them, and uh, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Thanks again to y'all. Thanks for your understanding. Uh, I do look forward to getting back in the groove here with Weekend IndyCar listener Q&A podcasts, uh, guest shows as well. Get back in the groove of having IndyCar drivers, team owners, engineers, you name it, <coughs> involved get more of those going here once i get back home um I, then i'm home for i think seven days or eight days when i get home then i leave for sebring for 12 hours of sebring coverage and got to knock out more gtp 101 videos but uh thanks y'all thanks as well to cooper tires for justice brothers and torontomotorsports.com and i'll speak to y'all really soon <laughs>